We serve a God that we may not be able to see with our eyes, but I tell you what, you sure can feel the God we serve. Amen. When you got a group of people that's actually hungry for the word and that has a desire that pleases God, and so he decides to show up like he has tonight, and I'm thankful for that. Tonight, I want to talk just for a little bit about staying in this presence or if, or if we've moved away, coming back to this place. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Reading out of the New Living Translation, the Word of God says, As Jesus called the disciples, as Jesus and the disciples continued on the way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and you're upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. If you look in the New Testament, there's a lot of men and women that actually follow Jesus. They really followed Jesus wherever he went. And all of those men and women, they actually had a life-changing situation. Like they had an experience with Jesus. And when they had that life-changing experience, they decided because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm going to dedicate my life to him and I'm going to follow him. And these two women were two of those of the group that had a life-changing experience with Jesus and decided to follow him. About like us, we may not have ever seen Jesus with our own eyes, but if I gave the mic to each and every one of you all that would say you're saved, I know you can tell me of the first time you actually experienced Jesus, whether it was at the church, at the altar, at home watching a TV evangelist in your car listening to music, wherever you were, the first time you experienced Jesus coming into your life, maybe you experienced a family member be saved or you experienced a healing for the first time. It changed your life. It opened your eyes. It opened your heart. And it caused you to decide, I'm going to follow Jesus because I know he's real because of what he's done. That's the scenario of what's happened with these women. It was the day that old things passed away and all things became new. That day, as a supernatural experience with the almighty God that caused you to want to follow his word. But in this process of living for God as Christians, when we start out for Christ, we've talked about this before, how we get excited, we're on fire for God. We want to save the world. We want to tell everybody about Jesus. We want to come to church. We're willing, we're excited. But it seems like sometimes as we live as Christians and we are committed to God, we begin to do things and we lose this relationship connection with God. Sometimes we slack in our prayer, we slack in our reading, and all we're left with is works. And in verse 40, in the King James Version, it says, Martha was cumbered about much serving. And that word cumbered from the Greek actually just means to drag around or to distract. I don't know about you, but I have felt like I'm dragging my feet in ministry sometimes and I felt distracted just life distracts us sometimes life hits us and 
it sometimes knocks us off of our feet and we sometimes get disconnected in that relationship with Jesus and all we're left with is works. So it's easy as Christians and especially leaders to be, get disconnected for a season with God and still come to church and do the works that we do and you know, sing and teach and preach and minister. And it's, it's easy to do that and actually be disconnected. It's not wrong. You're supposed to have a relationship along with the works, but sometimes we get lost in this disconnection with relationship. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But at the same time, James 2, 17 says, Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is what causes burnout. That's what causes weariness. When we get in a place to where we're disconnected with God in our relationship and prayer, and all we're doing is going through the motions, there's where burnout starts. And I think about this scenario with Martha and Mary, and I think, I know both of them women have had to have had some great experience with Jesus for them to want to follow them. But one of the two women got disconnected somehow along the way and they forgot about who Jesus was to him and how much he had done for her. So Martha was caught up in doing and the works and Mary couldn't help but think he's done too much for me. And it was the time for Jesus when he sat down to teach and she said, I've got to listen because that's my life. My life started with him, and it's got to continue with him. The Bible says in Galatians 6, verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. Sometimes we do get weary. Mary remembered all that Jesus had delivered her from, and we wonder why at times we feel distant from God. I was in a conversation with someone this past week and randomly, they were telling me about how they just feel just disconnected with God. They just feel like, they said, I've not really done really any bad sin, but I just don't feel, I feel like something's wrong inside of my spirit. And I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what to do. And I said, have you, I know you're a prayer. Have you been praying? Well, no, man. He said, I haven't really prayed that much. He said, where I live, a lot of people make fun of me and I try to pray and they make fun of me. And so I've not been praying as often. Well, have you read your Bible like you usually do? No, you can get burned out when you stop that connection, your relationship with Jesus. John 15, 5 said, I'm the vine. God is the vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If we abide in him and he in us, we will bear much fruit. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Anytime we become disconnected, it's, it seems like we're always saying, all of us as ministers and even leaders, we're always saying, You've got to pray. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to read your Bible. And it seems repetitive, and it almost can make you feel like it just goes through one ear and out the other. But imagine this. Imagine being thirsty, walking in a desert, and you're completely dehydrated, and you walk by this oasis, this pool of water, and you see this pool of water. You're so thirsty, and you jump in the water, and you just swim around in it. That's not enough to get in a pool of water and swim around. It'll cool you down, but in order to quench your thirst, you have to drink. And in order for us to have our spiritual soul quench, we have to drink from that river that never runs dry. It's not enough for us to just come to church, 
go through the motions of works and not actually get connected with Jesus on our own. It's not enough for us to just come to church, get a blessing, and then go home and never connect with Jesus at home because we're going to dehydrate in our spirit. We're going to die spiritually. Imagine, like I said, getting in a pool of water just because you're thirsty. That's not the way it is. You've got to drink. You have to feed your spirit. It's God's prescribed order of doing things, staying connected with God. I think about the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says how Abel became a shepherd and Cain cultivated the ground. So when it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, and he brought the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain's gift. And so Cain was mad. And I think about this same situation. Cain tilled the ground. He worked for what he gave God. He wanted to bring something to God and prove, look what I did for you, God. I'm proud. Look at me. I did this for you. But Abel had the heart of God. Abel actually, from what I would understand, Abel had a relationship with God because he knew what God required was what he brought. Not works of his own hands, but what God required. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And so God honored that. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 9, the Bible talks about these 10 lepers that Jesus healed. It says, Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem. He He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, there were 10 men with leprosy who stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, the same place where Mary was, at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Church, it's time to get back to the feet of Jesus. It's time to go back to the foot of the cross for better reference. It's time to get back to, you remember where Jesus brought you from. Remember the day that he saved you. Remember the day that he set you free and that he healed you. It's all too often when God does something for us, we run, we take away, we get excited and we get happy because we have one less burden to deal with so we can just continue to do our life. But God said, Jesus said to these men, I thought I healed 10. Why is there just one that came back to me? He deserves the glory. And you know what? Jesus isn't selfish. He doesn't want us to come back to him just for him to be praised. He knows that in him we live and we move and we have our being. When he does something for you, he draws you to him because he knows that that is how you're going to live spiritually. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So we can't just be like a kid in a candy store. You take the candy and you run. When God does something for you, he wants that relationship because he knows it's him that is keeping your spirit alive. 
Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. John had a revelation. And Jesus was telling him about the church at Ephesus. He said, you've done some good things. You've done some good things. He said, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. He said, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. The Lord would say to us tonight, turn back to me. Turn back to me. It doesn't mean we've fallen in sin. This doesn't specifically mean someone that has backslidden. This could be a Christian who has lost the connection and relationship with Jesus and has just resorted to just doing works alone. God can't have a group of people with works and no faith representing his kingdom. He's got too much at stake to have a group of people that represents him that doesn't represent him well. A group of people that he actually he cannot operate through. Because if all we are, and we're not, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying what the word of God says. If all we are is a church of works, where is the room for the spirit of God to work through? Because if we don't have a relationship with Jesus on our own, we don't have that, God doesn't have that opportunity to work through us for him to get the glory in this body of believers. He said, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. What, what does that mean? How did you feel when you first got saved? How did you feel the first time that your child was healed? How do you feel the first time that you prayed for something and you needed a miracle financially and God worked that out for you supernaturally? How did you feel? Go back. Because he's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and he'll always be the same. Go back to the first time that he spoke to you and he said, my son, my daughter, this is what I want you to do. This is what I've called you to do. Maybe God has called you and, and you've walked away from that calling. Well, God's saying, go back to that calling because I've not left there. See, when God speaks to us, when God speaks to you, that's where he resides. And if you walk away from the position or the place that God has spoken to you, God is still there. He says, come back to where I have called you. Come back, come back to the place that I've called you to. Lord, it's like, it's like Jonah. When Jonah, God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. And he went to Joppa. He, did, he, said he didn't want to go there. God was, God was at Nineveh waiting there for him. So when, they, when, when Jonah ran and the storm came and he was in that boat and they threw him off the boat, God sent a taxi in the shape of a fish to bring him to where he was. That fish, that big fish or that whale, whatever you want to call it, that fish was swimming around that boat, I believe, waiting for Jonah to be thrown off. God is that good. He disciplines us just like a father and mother, but he does it in love. We'll run from him, we'll walk away, we'll... We'll say no, we don't want to do that, but he's got a big fish waiting for us. And unfortunately, sometimes he'll let us go through some hard times to get us to realize 
this ain't where I am. I called you here in the spirit. Why are you running from that calling? And he'll send something like a big fish to wait. And Jonah was in that fish for three days. And when that fish had got to where God was, at the shores of Nineveh, he spit him up right there where God wanted him to be. God is that merciful church. He's saying, come back to where I am. Come back to me. He said, I've done things for you. Haven't I gave you what you've prayed for? Haven't I done miracles? I've saved you. I've given my son for you to die on the cross so you could actually get to heaven. Come back to me. Do we remember why we started serving God? Have we lost our first love? But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. There's a lot of things for us to get worried about these days. But Jesus said, the only thing that you need to be concerned about, Mary has discovered. Mary at the feet of Jesus, that relationship. When you find yourself trying to figure things out and you just can't do it and you get stressed and you get worried, Jesus said, just come to back to me, my son and my daughter. Come to that prayer closet. Come to that place of, of seclusion. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the best example of what seclusion is. I'm not talking about isolation. I'm talking about seclusion. Isolation is when you stay away from people because you're sick of people. Isolation is when you don't want to be hag with people. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus secluded himself so that he could fill back up. He would go off in the wilderness for days and fast, and he would talk to God. Jesus was a prime example of what we should do. We say, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the place we do. I guarantee you, if, we, if it was just five minutes a day, there is a place and a time that God would set for us to steal away and pray and fill back up. Because as leaders and as men and women of God, if we don't stay full, how in the world are we going to help others? If we don't drink from that fountain that never runs dry, Mom, if you would come. In closing, the book of John tells this story in a little more detailed way. It talks about when Mary came and knelt down at Jesus' feet and all the hustle and bustle was going on. Martha was working and trying to set the table and set the food. She got out this alabaster box of oil and she broke it and she poured it on Jesus' head. She washed his feet with her tears she sat there remembering what Jesus had done for her. But in the midst of that, there were some there that said, you wasted that on him. You could have gave that to the poor. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Why did you waste that for? What are you doing? And see, that's what the world would say to you and me. Why in the world are you wasting your time and your talents and your money for that church or, or that God or that Christian way. Why are you wasting your time? 
But let me tell you what you do. You, you tell them, you don't know what I've been through. You see, Mary went back. She went back to that place when God had delivered her from only God knows what. And Jesus forgave her and set her free. So it was nothing for her to take that box of oil that was worth a year's worth of wages at least and poured it on Jesus. That was nothing for her. That was the least she could do. She gave with joy because Jesus had done so much for her. And how much more should we? When the world says, why are you wasting your time? What are you doing? What does that mean? How do you display who Jesus is? You just tell him what he's done for you. Like the old song says, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. Only you know what Jesus has done for you. And in going back to Jesus, just like Mary did, when all the hustle and bustle was going on, she could have joined Mary, she could have, she could have joined Martha, but she said, no, he's too precious. I'm more concerned about pleasing my Savior because in him, I live, I move, I have my being. And I understand that in spite of the fact that I'm flesh, when I'm born again, old things pass away, become old things, become new, and I'm spirit. My spirit comes to life. Now we might eat to stay alive in this flesh and we might drink to stay alive, but I'm telling you this, if you don't pray, and I'm gonna say it again, if you don't read the Bible and say, God, this I've had to pray this before, God, strengthen the desire to read your word in my life it's okay God already knows how you feel God already knows if you feel lazy and if you're bored with reading the Bible say God change my heart strengthen the desire for your word in my life God because I'm ready to make a change that's all he wants just come to me he says come to me just like you are all you who are weary and heavy laden come to me come back to where I first met you because I'm still waiting that's what he's saying so Mary pours this oil on Jesus in spite of what everybody was saying because she remembered her first experience of what Jesus had done for her. If you would, let's stand, please. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we take this time to think about what you've done for us, God. Lord, the miracles, Lord, that we've prayed for, that we've stood in the gap for, Lord. It's those miracles, Lord, that are continually helping us to contend for the faith, God. God, we can't forget about what you've done, God, because that's what pushes us and that's what gives us to faith, to wake up another day and to stand on your word, God. You see, church, if we forget what he's done, we'll never have the faith to believe that he'll do what we need him to do too tomorrow. If you don't remember and you don't count your blessings, if you don't go back to the feet of Jesus where he met you and he'd give you that miracle, you'll never have the faith and you'll just be a person of works without relationship. Tonight, the altars are open and I want as they sing this song, I, I just want this song to be your prayer. Take me back, Lord. Take me back to the place where I first received you, to the place where I first met you, 
to the place where your word changed me for the first time and I've never been the same. I'll never be the same. Take me back, dear Lord. Let's come and let's pray and let's sing this to God.